0: We have been learning about some of the foundations of our faith over the past five weeks from Genesis 1 to 3. And we started with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We talked about how God is this eternal, all-powerful, unimaginably wise and good creator, that he is the one who made the entire universe. He is the best, the most glorious, the most lovely, more precious than anything else in all of creation. And we saw that creation displays the glory of God. What a wonderful thing that God made this world that we might see his glory, and that we might enjoy this earth that he has made, the world that points to him. And last of all creation, God made mankind. He made them male and female. We were created in his image so that each and every human being, each and every one of us here is uniquely crafted by God to love and serve him. And we learned that Adam and Eve they lived and worked in this, this beautiful garden that God had made for them. They walked with God in perfect harmony and enjoyed his fellowship, his presence. And we talked about how there was one rule. That God had said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God made it clear that if you eat of it, you will surely die. Because God is the sovereign and holy creator of We were created to love and obey him. And God doesn't give a reason why this command, but he but he lays out the consequences for stepping outside of the way in which he had called Adam and Eve to live. He lays out the consequences of choosing to live apart from him. Choosing not to depend on him, choosing another love, choosing to worship something else. And Adam and Eve, they rejected God's word. They doubted God's goodness and they chose to listen to the serpent. They ate the fruit and sinned. Entered the world. Now sin is more than just doing something wrong. It is that breaking God's law. But there's more than that. You see sin is an act of rebellion. It's an act of taking God's rightful place as Lord and Savior and Judge choosing to worship someone other than the God who made the heavens and the earth. And sin is also an act of distrust. For we no longer believe God, but choose the lie. The lie that we can have something better than God. The lie that we can have something good apart from God. The sin is an act of rebellion against God and His goodness. It's an act of unbelief or distrust. It's also a matter of the heart. It's not merely about our outward actions But also an inward treason, an inward choosing to love someone other than God and worship something other than the creator. And God takes sin seriously. He had laid out the consequences. If you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And so we read last week about the effects of the curse on all of creation. And we experience the fallen world every day that points us to our need for God. Worst of all, God drove out Adam and Eve from the garden and the way to the tree of life was guarded by cherubim and a flaming sword. That's where we ended at the end of Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. Now the Apostle Paul teaches us that in Romans 5, verse 12, just as sin came into the world through one man, through Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Paul is teaching is that it is through the one man, it is through Adam, that sin and death are a part of all of our lives. And in fact, we all have sinned and therefore we all deserve death. And we can say that the testimony of the scriptures is that none of us is perfectly righteous. None of us is innocent of rebellion against God. And no amount of good deeds can save us. All of mankind is separated from fellowship with God. Do we take that message of Scripture seriously? Do we think on that? This is an important truth that we remember, and we we left off there that... Mankind is separated from fellowship with God. The long and short of it is that you and I need a Redeemer. We need a Savior. We need a whole lot of help. I was reading the Psalms this morning and I came across this verse and I felt that it really fit with this theme truly psalm 1 or psalm 49 verse 7 truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price for his life the ransom of their life is costly and it will never suffice it's never going to be sufficient that's where we're at right now in this story we need a redeemer But the story's not over, is it? The story's not over in Genesis 3. And God has provided the only means of redemption through Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and rose again, just as it was foretold in the Old Testament Scriptures, even in the very text we're going to look at this morning, a text that's within this chapter of Genesis chapter 3, a text that ends in man separated from God, there is this promise, this promise of hope. The end of the story has been foretold. So if you would turn to Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read just one verse and that is Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. So wonderful Verse, Genesis chapter 3, 15 has been called the first gospel proclamation. This is because it's here in the midst of judgment that we have the first glimpse of some good news after sin has entered the world. Here in the midst of judgment, God declares the ultimate end of the deception and work of the devil. Here in Genesis 3 15, we're given the first glimpse of our Redeemer. So I'll read that now. Genesis 3, verse 15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. You know, our hope begins with a statement of enmity. God says, I will put enmity between you. He's speaking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Do you know that God himself put enmity, hatred, war between the woman and Satan? You know, that sure turns around Satan's plot to put enmity between God and man. To know that God would put enmity between the serpent and the woman. You know, in God's divine justice and mercy, the first man and the first woman would have another chance. They weren't just done done and over and away with. And God also says that He will put enmity between the seed or the offspring of the serpent and the seed or the offspring of the woman. You know, that means that there's going to be enmity. There's going to be an ongoing conflict between those that follow the way of the serpent and those who follow the Lord. We see in the scriptures that um, throughout that uh, various people and various times uh, people are referred to as the children of the devil. Those who follow the ways of the serpent. And we see these examples contrast all throughout Scripture. We see the the righteous and the wicked. Those who follow the Lord God, who turned to him with contrite hearts, and those who continue in their own wicked way. In the very next chapter, in Genesis chapter 4, we see the very first example of these two ways in Cain and Abel, don't we? And there it seems as though the way of the serpent won. For Cain killed Abel, but God punished Cain. There were consequences for his ways, and God raised up another seed, the seed of Seth, through whom all of us, have come. The Apostle John picks up on this theme in the Scriptures and in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, he speaks of the children of God and the children of the devil. He says, by this, 1 John 3, verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God. And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And he goes on to speak about Cain. In verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and he murdered his brother. And he murdered his brother because his own deeds were evil and his brother's were righteous. So in verse 13 John says, do not be dis- dis- surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Don't be dis- surprised, not having trouble saying that word. Don't be surprised that There is enmity between the ways of the world and those who follow the ways of the world and and of the devil. But he goes on and he says, we know we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And there is that mark of those who love God those who are righteous, those who are the godly see. So God promises that there's going to be enmity between those who follow the way of the serpent and those who follow God. That shouldn't be a surprise to us. But not only is 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 it a reminder to us about the Struggle that we're going to face, that it's not going to be easy, that there is temptation, that there is a struggle. It's also a reminder that God has always preserved a godly seed who have turned back to him. And that's an encouraging thing to remember. To see, this, this is a, the curse to the serpent. He's not going to have his way in this world. There's enmity. But there's also victory. And it is because of the victor that we can have hope. God says to the serpent, and he will crush your head. And he is referring to the seed of the woman. The serpent is going to be destroyed. And here we have the first glimpse of how God is going to reconcile sinful people to Himself. Adam and Eve now know that a child would come who would right the wrongs that had been done and bring about victory. The serpent would not win the day. God will win. Of course, the identity of the child and the timing of his coming are are yet to be revealed. And so in a lot of ways, this text leaves us hanging throughout much of Scripture. How is God going to fulfill this word? To whom is God going to send this son? When shall the child come? But in the Scriptures, we learn that that child was Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin he came as one who redeem a people from God or for God and bring about victory over the devil and his ways. <laughs> tempted by Satan, he did not waver, but he held fast to the word of God and we read about that in Matthew chapter 4. And he was tempted just turn these stones into bread. what was his response man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God and when tempted to jump off of the temple the serpent said it'll be okay you will be safe but Jesus responds again with the word of God You shall not test the Lord your God. And then he was offered all the kingdoms of the world. But he would not worship the serpent. But he said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only you shall serve. Jesus Christ throughout his entire life, did not turn from the right or to the right or to the left. He stayed true to God. Though tempted in every way, he was without sin. Now, the devil... Desired and has desired throughout history to thwart the plan of God. And so he, through Judas and through the, the priests and the, the Pharisees had the promised seed, this one who proclaimed himself to be the Son of God, he had him crucified. But this too was a part of the plan of God. And though Christ's death on a cross was costly, through the cross the serpent's head was crushed. The Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians chapter two, verses. 13 to 15. I would invite you to please turn there if you're able. Colossians 2 verse 13. And and, uh, we'll come back to it. So I'm just going to start reading. Verse 13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. That is with Christ having forgiven us all our trespasses, our sins, by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. These verses proclaim Jesus Christ as Redeemer and victor. Jesus Christ is the Redeemer because it is through His death. That last blow of the serpent. That was a part of the plan of God. It was through His death that the great debt we owed for our sin was nailed to the cross. The passage speaks of of a record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. When you are indebted, you were written up a balance sheet and the record stood that you owed what you owed. And we are told here that Jesus Christ through the cross, set it aside. It was paid in full. It was nailed to the cross. He paid that debt. Though we owed God our lifeblood, Jesus gave His own blood to redeem us. And we read about this in many places in Scripture. One that stands out is Hebrews chapter 9, where we are told it is not the blood of bulls and goats that could save us or that could possibly atone for or cover or pay the debt for our sins, but Christ, by his own blood, bought us forgiveness of sins. The wages of sin were paid in full, what we could not do, as the psalmist said in Psalm 49, verse 7, that the, the price is too costly. Christ has done. Because he is worthy, because he is the second Adam who never once sinned. Who was victorious in his life. And in his death. See Jesus Christ is the re- redeemer. We also see that he is the victor. He triumphed over all the powers and authorities. He made a spectacle of them. What did their plan accomplish? It was but a part of the greater plan of God. That Jesus Through death would conquer the one who has the power of death. Hebrews 2 verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise partook of the very same things he took on flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. The devil, death, and hell have no power over those that Christ has redeemed. Because he destroyed the work of the devil on the cross. Death was brought to nothing, for he rose from the grave. Of Christ by his death that might be likened to the bruising of the heel foretold in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 brought about redemption, brought about freedom or deliverance from sin because he paid our debt that we owed to God. And in his death Christ not only redeems us but he delivers us and he defeated all the powers of darkness Those that continue to reject Christ's offer of salvation Jesus said in John's gospel that they, they are not they are condemned Already, they will not receive a part of his inheritance. They will not receive a part in his kingdom. But those who they will go the way of the serpent. But those who accept Christ's work of redemption and victory that that is foretold in Genesis chapter three and that we see. Here, as we have looked at Colossians chapter two, his work of redemption and victory was done for us, that those who believe in him might be saved. And though the devil, Peter tells us, roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may Devour, and he is active in this world. Yet the promise of God in Romans 16, verse 20, is that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under the feet of those who trust in Christ. It's through him. The victory is in Jesus. It's not in us. For we cannot save ourselves. We need a redeemer. We owe God our very lives for our rebellion. You remember Colossians 2, verse 13? Paul begins speaking to the believers, and he says, you who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him. It's Jesus alone who can save us. It's our participation with him that saves us. For we were dead, we were helpless, we were lost, we were blind. But Christ redeemed us and he won the victory. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, all are justified by his grace as a gift. And how is this that we are justified? How is it that we are given this great gift? It is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It is because He went to the cross. He took our punishment. He paid our debt. He is the Redeemer that makes us right with God. We are simply the recipients of His grace. He is the victor. Yet we are invited to join in His triumph. Do you believe that His grace is enough? That Jesus is all that we need? That He is our Redeemer? The way of redemption is to trust in Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. And our champion. Whatever happens in our lives. In spite of whatever enmity we may face. With the ways of the world. Whatever struggles we may face in this fallen world. We can remember the promise of Genesis 3.15. Is one of hope in Jesus Christ. You see, we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. We know that He has won the victory. And now in Christ, we can enter the banquet hall of the King. Join in that victory parade that celebration and enjoy fellowship with him. The table is prepared for us. A crown of glory awaits. And so we celebrate together the redemption and victory as a body. We celebrate the redemption and victory that was purchased for us. By the body and blood of Christ. We rejoice in his grace. Because he's the the only means of redemption. And more than that. He is the great prize. The treasure. Of the gospel. that, That we might know God in Christ. And dwell with him at his table. That's why redemption is so important. Because the Lord. The Lord is the greatest treasure. And we are separated from him. By our sin. We need a redeemer. And Jesus Christ has won the victory. So I want to close with Some words from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 to 57. And then we're going to partake together of the Lord's table. And remember together the victory has been won. Our redemption was purchased at great cost. Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. Redeemer. The Apostle Paul wrote, Where, O death, is your victory? 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.